everyone. Welcome to episode 30 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we'll be doing the usual roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes that have been addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases. We'll be talking about uh, MySQL, Dovecot, Memcached, Events, Webpack, LibPNG, and more. Plus, we're going to have a chat to Joe McManus about uh, another week, another IoT compromise, as well as the recent compromise of Docker Hub as well. Uh, and finally, I'll have a mention of a job opening that we've got as well in the team. So let's get into it. So this week, there were 19 different CVEs that were addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases. The first one was MySQL or MySQL, depending on how you say it. Eight CVEs here that were addressed across Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. Uh, this is the latest upstream version for the 5.7 uh, series of MySQL, uh, 5.7.26, and includes fixes for eight different issues, uh, in particular including one uh, which would allow uh, an unauthenticated remote attacker uh, to basically gain complete access to all your MySQL server data. So yeah, definitely one to update for, plus uh, a heap of other ones that might allow a uh, privileged attacker where they could hang or crash MySQL server as well. So yeah, that's been fixed for, as I said, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. We've got an update for GStreamer. Uh, this is in the uh, RTSP uh, connection parser. Uh, so basically there was a heat buffer overflow here where uh, it would try to parse out the session ID from the uh, from the server and the session ID would be able to contain semicolons to add in attributes, that kind of thing. And so it would parse this string looking for uh, the first semicolon and assume that that then delimited it. The problem was it would then copy uh, this uh, string into the fixed sized uh, session ID buffer, which is 512 bytes. So if the server could send something that was a lot longer than that and then include a semicolon, it would copy the whole thing in and you would get your uh, overflow of this uh, session ID buffer on the heap and therefore likely a crash denial of service. But because you are corrupting the heap in this case, you could probably get code execution as well. So this was changed just to make sure that I never passed more than 512 bytes out of that response. Okay, so we've got an update for events. So one CVE here fixed for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. This is the PDF reader for the GNOME desktop. Uh, in this case, it would fail to check return values when calling into libtiff, in particular when uh, decoding an image using libtiff. So you would end up, uh, if it failed to decode it, with a buffer with a heap of uninitialized uh, data in it, which would end up getting rendered. And so this was fixed to basically just check those return values to make sure that if it returned an error, that it bailed out and didn't bother trying to render this data. Next, we have an update for Wavpack. One CVE here fixed for Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. Uh, looks like this was found uh, through someone fuzzing Wavpack using Valgren to detect memory errors. So they uh, found basically that if they used a particularly crafted input to it, it would end up with uh, a, well, there would be no sample rate that would be able to be parsed out of the data. And so it would have an uninitialized value for the sample rate, which would then go on and get used. And so this could contain anything uh, as a sample rate value and therefore likely result in a crash. Uh, but, you know, you might be able to imagine it could get code execution as well. So this was fixed just to declare that as zero in the first place. So pretty simple fix. Uh, we've got an update for Dovecot. So two CVEs here fixed for Cosmic and Disco. Uh, both of these were related to authentication in uh, the more recent versions of Dovecot. So as I said, this only applies to Cosmic and Disco. It doesn't apply for Bionic or Xenial. 
Uh, in this case, uh, if a client uh, was to abort the authentication attempt with the server, uh, at a certain point, the server would end up crashing with a null pointity reference. So that's been fixed. And as well, if a client was authenticating using TLS, but sent an invalid authentication message, uh, the server would end up crashing too. So both of those have been fixed. Uh, next, we have an update for libpng. So one CVE here fixed for Bionic and Cosmic. There was a use after free when it was cleaning up uh, PNG images. Basically, uh, libpng contains a kind of internal helper function called PNG safe execute that does a bunch of magic with set jump long jump to ensure that it can control the uh, execution flow uh, if an error is encountered. Uh, the problem was that uh, when it does encounter an error, it would go and automatically clean up the image. However, in this case, because we are calling uh, PNG image free in the first place, we are freeing the image and then we're going to free it again. So you get a double free, essentially use after free. Uh, so yeah, that was fixed just to make sure it wasn't called under this uh, PNG safe execute sec jump long jump magic function. Okay, uh, next up is an update for memcached. So one CVE here that was fixed for Bionic, Cosmic and Disco. In this case, it was a possible null pointer reference via the uh, command interface. It was basically doing insufficient checks on the supplied parameters. You know, it would look for three parameters when there should have actually been four parameters, uh, or when they, you know, the user provided four parameters, and so uh, this could allow you know someone obviously to crash it. So that was fixed just to check uh, the right number of parameters. Next, we have an update for PHP for precise extended security maintenance and Trusty extended security maintenance. So as I mentioned last week, Trusty has now uh, entered extended security maintenance as well as precise. Uh, so uh, two CVEs here that were fixed. Uh, I covered these last week in episode 29 uh, for all the standard supported releases. Uh, in this case, it was two different bugs related to EXIF tag handling. So yeah, so this is the update, corresponding update for our extended security maintenance releases for PHP as well. So if you want more details on those vulnerabilities, uh, have a listen back to last week's episode. And lastly, uh, in this roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes, we have an update for Python GNU PG. So two CVEs here that were fixed for Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. Uh, in the first case, it was possible to trick uh, the underlying GNU PG to decrypt uh, some ciphertext that was supplied by the attacker uh, rather than the actual ciphertext, or in the case that you're doing encryption to encrypt uh, plain text that was supplied by the attacker. And the way this was done uh, is that uh, it's using the command interface of GNU PG to basically pass the uh, passphrase as well as the you know, ciphertext or the clear text, depending on whether you're doing decryption or encryption. And the problem was that if the attacker can control that passphrase, they could inject things like new line characters into it and then, you know, a faked ciphertext or a faked plaintext as well. So the GNU PG would then go and operate on that. Uh, so basically the fix was just to make sure that it validates the passphrase to make sure it does not contain any you know, line feed or carriage return characters and to reject those if that was the case. Uh, a bit of an odd bug because usually your attacker or you know, the attacker isn't supplying your passphrase as well. But you, know, you can imagine this could be possible if you've got some kind of web service where someone is sending across their credential or something like that. A bit wacky. But anyway, so yeah, that's been fixed. Plus, we've got another, uh, another update for that where it was possible to uh, trick the application that's using uh, Python GNU PG into uh, giving it what looked like the return codes from GNU PG directly by including that as the file name to be decrypted. So 
uh, in verbose mode, it would print out the file name and then it would go and obviously say, you know, whether it succeeded or not or had a good signature or not, that kind of thing. And so you could include things like a good sig uh, response as the file name as an attacker and that would get uh, potentially interpreted as the return code from GNU PG itself. So that was fixed to uh, make sure that that was also sanitized before being printed. Okay, so that takes us to the uh, end of the usual roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes. Uh, next up, uh, I had a discussion with Joe about uh, another uh, another week, another IoT uh, compromise. In this case, it was about uh, iLink uh, P2P uh, devices. And we also had a chat about the recent Docker Hub uh, compromise as well. Yeah, this week there was a, a new vulnerability that was shown about, I think it's, it affects 2 million IoT devices. Um, they're, they're ones that use this iLink P2P uh, functionality for configuration, which if you think about it, it it's kind of like UPnP, but less secure and over the public internet. So um, Awesome. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, totally. Um, how, how it works is you buy like a, a really low cost um, IoT device, like an IP camera or something. Um, there was a list of companies in the vulnerability disclosure I read that I didn't recognize any of them. Um, and so they they have you scan a QR code or type in a number and it uses this P2P um, to configure it. So your IoT device goes out over, you know, goes out over the public internet, talks to their, um, their server, and um, it's over, it uses clear text um, for the transmission. It uses clear text for the, um, for the authentication. So like two things I really read about that, like what P2P uses clear text? And like, why, why would you even like, I think you have to go out of your way to set up a peer-to-peer communication system that uses clear text. Like, I imagine like all the reference libraries have SSL on by default. Um, but then the clear text authentication is bad too. But what makes it worse is what they do is basically, let's say, for lack of a better term, they use a MAC address as the authentication, um, as a unique identifier. So you can just keep iterating over the over the MAC addresses. Um and just try to connect to other machines. And then you can, um, you can wait for clear text authentication and take it over. Um, there's the solution now, I guess this P2P works over um, UDP port uh, 32,100. So you can block outbound 32,100 on your firewall and prevent this from happening. Um, but that's a stopgap, right? Um, Long-term, Does that mean then you, you, you can't configure any more new devices that you buy? Oh, yeah, that thing. If you continue to buy yeah. those incredibly low-cost devices, yeah. <laughs> then yes, they won't work. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting because, like, I just I just can't imagine the the hardware on these low-cost devices couldn't handle SSL. Or maybe that's what it is. I mean, have, have you played with, like, a ESP8266 um, ever? No, I've not played with any real low-powered stuff. Um, I know that in the past when uh, I've been at other places and we've tried to build systems like this, uh, trying to get the uh, essentially the PKI infrastructure set up uh, is hard to bootstrap, right? Um, you kind of you know have to define your own kind of trust trust setup. And so that's not necessarily straightforward. However, uh, in you know I think IoT vulnerabilities, particularly of this sort of nature, you know, not using, you know, doing everything in the clear, you know, these are really basic stuff that uh, I would have thought should be in the consciousness of every uh, developer out there. And so I guess, you know, we're still not doing enough then clearly to 
educate either at the you know at the university level or maybe even for the existing devs out there yeah i mean i think it unfortunately until the market responds there's no reason to do it either right i mean if you go to your online retailer of choice and see that this camera is is 16.99 versus the nest version which is 200 dollars. well why would you buy the nest one because they're both ip yeah. cameras right um yeah so that that's unfortunately the consumer just doesn't doesn't care right now um but it's a i think it's a it's a really really easy thing to solve technically right but people just aren't doing it i know you said pks hard and i do believe that right <laughs> um but if you're if you're implementing some of these things like you could just make it a little bit harder with a very very small things but like i said some of these low-cost devices like I think the reference everybody used for IoT for years was the ESP um, boards and the 8266. I don't think you could do SSL on it easily. I think there was a reference for an HTTPS uh, server on it. Okay. Um, yeah. But like the new one, the ESP32, has a lot more processing power and I believe can support full encryption. So, yeah. Um, eh, you know, it's people really need to fix this stuff and I'm surprised it keeps happening, but I guess it does. I mean, in this case, yeah, if you're doing uh, like, this kind of configuration level stuff, you know, it's a control channel. It's not your necessarily your data channel, right? Um, in terms of bandwidth that you need, right? Surely you might be able to still support SSL for that. And then yes, maybe still your IP camera data goes in the clear and that's just how that is, right? But at least if you can make sure it's configured and trusted from that point of view, you could still do that over SSL. So it does feel like, uh, yeah, there's certain improvements that could be made. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Um, I. I bought a software-defined radio uh, a few years back, and I bought a uh, Philips U lighting system. And um, I thought this is this uses Zigbee, right? On the on the other, one side is IP uh, when it connects to the the network, and the other side is all Zigbee. And so with this SDR, I should be able to hack this thing. It's going to be I want to use an SDR because they were all very popular at the time. They encrypted everything. <laughs> Their yep. early ones weren't encrypted. Somebody found it and uh, opened a bug, and I think they fixed it in a short time. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't break my Philips Hue. It was quite upsetting. Oh. <laughs> but, but now I still use it, so um, that's my IoT light of choice. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, that's good. Hey, look, at least there's, you know, it's not all, uh, it's all not all doom and gloom. Then in IoT, you know, perhaps uh, the bigger vendors are at least doing things right. Yeah, and actually, that's, like you said, it's not all doom. That's a really good thing to say. There's, um, what did, um, what did Dante say? Um, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Um, and I think so many security people think that, right? Like that's what they preach. I went to a conference recently, and everybody was like, "Oh, it's you're gonna get hacked. This, this, this everything is burning." And I, I hate that. I think there's an approach we can all take, which is let's keep making things better piece by piece. And it's, it's not this, um, it's not this gloom and doom that people preach in the security world. Um, yeah, things are bad, but things are very, things are continue to get better. And you look at things like, like Ubuntu, we make it very secure. Operating systems are getting better. People just need to continue to focus on it and make it a harder target. That's right. Absolutely. Joe. Uh, and so on the subject of doom and gloom, there was a, uh, another hack we wanted to have a quick talk about this week, and that was Docker Hub. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> so the sky is falling. No, um, so the Docker Hub was an interesting one. Um, so I think I read 190,000 uh, accounts were potentially exposed. Um, 
they uh, Docker Hub disclosed uh, in April that um, there was unauthorized access to one of their hub databases, as they call it, um, which um, sort of subset of of data for authentication. So they say it was not financial. So, um, but it had it had authentication data in there, and they um, so I guess as soon as they found out, they stopped. Um, they, they got they stopped the access. Oh, that's an interesting thing, right? Saying you stop the access to a hacker, you don't know without some serious forensic investigation. Um, did they, once they got in, did they pivot to other plates on your network? Um, mm. So I always th- you know, take that with a grain of salt uh, that they, they stopped access. And not just because it's Docker, but because any company, you know, once you've been, um, once you have been infected, you want to look for that other malicious, other suspicious activity, like any pivoting your network, what other reconnaissance did they do? Did they set up reverse access erosion, things like that? Um, do some NetFlow. Look at your logs. Is there an SSH yep. connection that's been active for sixty days? Um, uh, so they, 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 this is interesting because what it, what I think a lot of the access was was app to app. So it was your GitHub tokens, right? It was your Bitbucket tokens. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm not entirely familiar with Docker Hub, but I'm imagining that this then allows, or potentially, if your you know that credential is compromised, that someone else can you know essentially backdoor you know your docker image exactly yeah. and could you so the first thing you know people who've got these things have been infected well i'd say anybody who's got a docker hub account because you don't know they're saying one hundred ninety thousand, but april 25th the day they disclosed it that's i'm not sure how long the investigation's been going on so when we find that maybe it was further but that's still a lot of users so reset your credentials yeah. on on uh github on on bitbucket make sure um reset the credentials for the communication between the two uh the two sites um i'm not sure how that's done i haven't set that up um but is it with a auth token is it with ssh keys i'm not sure it's an auth token i think okay. i think mostly you generate the auth token in your you know for your github repo so that then docker hub can access it but yeah uh, uh hopefully they would have done that automatically i'm hoping all those got revoked you know you know they could contact github let's say and get github to revoke all those tokens but yeah so yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting um, that this app, at least, app look, style at, attack. At least in that case, right? That could be done. At least they, you know, the systems are you know, they're a step ahead of what would have been done ten years ago. You're not you're not having you know hard coded creds or whatever you might need. You know, or I guess you are, but it's a single token that can be easily revoked, right? And doesn't necessarily then break all your other infrastructure because you know you use the one credentials everywhere. Yeah, so, and how like I, I said, believe they things did. Are Things are a bit better. Yeah, and totally. You know what they did do? They let people know, and I believe they, Docker Hub, reset all the tokens proactively. Cool. So okay. yeah. um, that's a great step. You know, at one point, people would have been hemming and hawing, saying, well, I don't know. It might upset people's business process. And I'm sure it did cause some interruptions for people to reset those tokens, but they made things more secure by doing that. So bravo, Docker Hub. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, you know, they've... At least from the responses I've read, it sounded like they did a pretty good job of handling this. Although, like you said, I do uh, wonder how long they have investigated for and is this all of it uh, or is there more that may be found out later? But let's hope this is it. Okay. I think uh, we've covered that. Yeah. Thanks again for another week, Joe. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. So thanks again, Joe, for that. I will talk to you again in uh, another week. 
Okay, uh, so lastly, uh, in uh, ongoing community news, uh, the team is hiring. We have an open position for a robotic security engineer. So if you are uh, love tinkering with robots and have an interest in security, and in particular, if you are already active with ROS and active in the ROS upstream, and you want to be able to help define what uh, security for ROS looks like going forward, we would love you to apply for our robotic security engineer position. So I've included a link in the show notes, and I urge you to check that out and apply. Okay, that takes us to the end of the show. As usual, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can reach the team at securityubuntu.com. Or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. Or you can find us on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks again for listening, everyone, for another week. Uh, Remember, keep calm and enable automated upgrades. And I will speak to you again soon. Bye.